All right. So welcome to this week's intervention. I'm Nick, and I'm here as always with Steve. So, buddy, how you doing? It's been a uh, it's been a crazy week. Hasn't yeah, it? it's been a fun week. It's been great. I mean, I don't want to spoil a lot for the live app because yeah. we're inevitably going to talk about it. But I mean, obviously, with the railroad stuff, Kanye being a Nazi, it's been yeah, I've been down a eventful. Tim Pool rabbit hole this week. <laughs> yeah, just listening to that dick. Yeah. Anyway, but I mean, in the background of all this kind of shit, you know, we continue to fund Ukrainian Nazis basically sustain a proxy war against Russia yeah. as we continue to kind of amp up, it seems like, for Cold War, hopefully not a hot war with China. I know you didn't listen to the whole like Alex Jones, Kanye West thing, right? No. There's one point, and again, we'll probably talk about it tomorrow, but I don't think it hurts mentioning it here. There's one point where where Jones is like, so you like Nazis? He's like, yeah. He goes, so do you, in West is like, yeah, I do. I, I love Nazis. And he's like, so do you love the Azov Battalion. He's like, I love everybody, man. <laughs> just like, holy shit! Oh my god! Yeah, he's uh, I, I don't even know. There's not many words to say. It's just like, I guess at the end of the day, you know, I think there's a there was a time when I really wouldn't care or feel like I had any reason to criticize Kanye. I've never really been a big fan, but that's just because of like personal preference in music. I think. Yeah, I do appreciate. I love his first three I mean, albums. Yeah, I mean, he has done some like objectively great stuff as an artist. Like, there's no doubt about he's a, it. He's definitely a better producer than he is a rapper. But like, I think he produced the Blueprint, which is a pretty fantastic rapper. Just in terms of art, like I, I'm someone that even as someone that doesn't like listen to that style all yeah. that much, can still objectively say that like it's pretty done some pretty like groundbreaking stuff, right? But you know, I don't know. He's been on some weird shit for a while now. I guess, like, at this point, it's like, once you say that you're a Nazi and you like Hitler, you're not really human to me anymore, so yeah. I don't really fucking care, Yeah, you know? Once you tie yourself to fucking Nick Fuentes, yeah. go fuck yourself. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, and, you know, it seems like there's a lot of discourse around this stuff with Kanye, and, you know, people should be called out for fucking saying that they're Nazis, you know, but you want to see that same anti-Nazi sentiment come out everywhere, you know, which we're not seeing, I guess, in somewhere like Ukraine and the Azov Battalion. And like, you know, we've talked about it ad nauseum on this podcast and on other podcasts, but it's just, it's very, it should be very apparent right now how this whole thing is being framed Mm -hmm. and the purposes behind it, right? So I don't know. I thought that it would be good in this context to talk about specific tool i guess in the arsenal of the empire which is atrocity propaganda yeah and it's always intended to gin up insert anti-state enemy rage here right like whatever state that may be manufacture consent right exactly and we've seen that lately from russia obviously to china we always see it with cuba and we saw it with iran recently as well we can you know get into some of those specific instances, but it seems like everywhere you look, like there's some new human rights abuse going on. And the implication being that the empire needs to go in and take care of that. So I think it's like good to just kind of have a conversation about some of these instances, because there's like a pattern here with how it happens and how it's utilized and why why and when, you know, someone appears in the crosshairs, right? There's like material reasons behind that from the u.s empire's perspective more often than not yeah you and you're gonna talk about kind of the history like when you look things up 
what you get right. Yeah, we'll touch on that as well. But like off the top, I got a few like historical things. Yeah. So like just off the top, I think maybe just a few like disclaimers. So like as everybody listening should know, I'm an apologist for actually existing socialist states. Yeah. I just am. That's not to say that like any existing state is perfect and above reproach because, you know, they're undertaking socialist projects because that's just utopian stupidity. Every, you know, nothing is perfect. No state apparatus is perfect or going to be above criticism. It's just like, where is that criticism coming from, you know, and to what end is that criticism being levied, right? And we'll get into why that's important. But, you know, I think we're also going to talk about some states that aren't socialist at all, such as Russia today, right? Russia is not... Soviet Union anymore, unfortunately. But, you know, they still resist U.S. imperialism. So I think there it's just important for us to point out U.S. hypocrisy and cynicism with respect to states such as that. But that doesn't make them above reproach either. But, you know, I think if we're real with ourselves, you could argue that Putin in many ways governs to the left of Biden. (laughs) I mean, honest to God. Yeah. Like, especially when we're talking about, like, economically. And the, and the Biden's got really no leg to stand on social issues either, um, if you look at his history. so Right. But, you know, that's a digression. So I guess at the end of the day, what I'm saying is that... But I mean, like, Biden and those guys support strikers, right? They support unions? Oh, at least they're pro-labor, right? <laughs> Fuck. That's, that's fucking criminal. Yeah. I mean, just to sidetrack again real quick, there's like this, uh, there's this post going around... I don't know how legal it is, or not legal. I I don't know how real it is or anything like that, but it's allegedly this text from a railroad worker, right? And the text reads, you know, I I flew an impeached Trump flag in my yard for the past three years, but now I've been betrayed by Biden. Yeah. And I might throw my my support behind Trump if he runs against him in 2024. And like, again, I don't know how real that is, but like you could certainly see like as the last kind of illusions of union support for the democrat or by the democrats are kind of ripped away with this because there's no you're not going to get a clear example of the state stepping in and putting its thumb on the scales to the benefit of the capitalist class than this you just won't yeah so they they have nothing to no leg to stand on anymore so like of course like when situations like this come up like you're going to breed this is a breeding ground for fucking fascism and right-wing opportunism. Yep. It just is. Yep. And this isn't to say that that Trump would have done anything fucking different in this scenario. Yeah. But he's just not there. And he can't, can't blame him for something he didn't do, right? Yeah. So, I mean, we call this a digression, but I actually think it's a salient point because at the end of the day, it's like, why, when it comes to what we're talking about now with other states and imperialism, like, what the fuck grounds do we have to criticize other states on? Yeah. There's no moral high ground. There's no. no political high ground. There's nothing. In any case, just to kind of get back to it, um, I'm not saying we shouldn't have critiques and analyses of the bourgeoisie abroad as Marxists, but like we have to be careful about how often real critiques are weaponized by our own ruling class, particularly when our ruling class is at war or would welcome war with that other na- other nation, proxy or otherwise. So like the reality is we're in a much better position here to if we're going to look abroad, criticize the bourgeoisie of the European Union, Australia, Canada, etc., people that are our allies that aren't constantly being attacked unrighteously more often than not by the media, you know, and the state. You have any thoughts on that? No, nah, I mean I I just agree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I think it's like 
basically as we lead into some of the scenarios we'll talk about just want to posit some questions that's probably going to turn into a diatribe by me again unsurprisingly (laughs) but like just it's important to think about when you're looking at some piece of information in the media about another state again one that we're at war with and war doesn't necessarily mean militarily it could be an economic war because sanctions are nothing if not economic warfare against they, they frame it as like a, a government but it's economic warfare warfare against a citizen body against another working class that's affected first and foremost by economic sanctions right so you know if you have a situation where a state labeled an enemy of the u.s is allegedly abusing human rights like what are we as citizens living thousands of miles away under our own oppressive capitalist regime going to do about it? Other than, of course, be ready to stay home and out of the streets when the war machine kicks into gear and Uncle Sam bumbles and stumbles into liberating yet another populace from the Hitler of the day. And that's, of course, what the military industrial complex in the U.S. state actually want as they go on to do something that looks quite different from liberation. And like if the international left had some modicum of power in the U.S., that might be different. But we don't even have a functioning national left at this point. Right. No. So the U.S. state, we have no power within that to affect anything that would you know, make actions on the global stage look materially different. So you just have to fight against it where you can. For another, how could anyone possibly think that from their vantage point, again, an ocean away, that they are better equipped to formulate a position to a situation on the ground than the people actually living in that country? I mean, even if you believe you fully understand what is going on, I mean, you have to ask yourself, do you speak the language? Are you sure the Twitter post you read on a protest was translated correctly? Are you sure that the account was even real? Does the article you sourced regarding the incident in question come from an outfit that is funded by the National Endowment for Democracy, which is CIA, or the Bill Gates Foundation? So again, I'm talking specifically about nations that are labeled as enemies, rogues, or state sponsors of terror, right? If you see some article that's been, you know, kind of blessed off by the NED about Cuba, you have to understand that there's intelligence agency money behind that. Yeah, and with Twitter, it's... (laughs) It's easy to make something look legitimate now. 100%. Yeah. I mean, I think we both read that article by what Caitlin Johnston where she talks about, she she has tweets in there about, I forget who it was. Someone tweeted, and it, I think you probably talk about it, but it's the, you know, Russians raping Ukrainian children. Yeah. And, you know, like, I think she uses the Daily Beast, the Daily Mail, and a few others as places that just took one person's claiming it was true and ran with it as if it was a legitimate story with no other sources. And then, then there's somebody who tweeted a, a story by the New York times that I forget what that said, but she, she, her, her thing was maybe they should ask themselves if they support like the rape of children before writing this story. So it just becomes a few places tweeted out mm. and then tons of people without verifying anything, just jump on board and, and, and it treat it viral. as like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, not to get too like woo woo brain or whatever, but sometimes like you look at the accounts that kind of perpetuate these things and they're like, they kind of crop up out of nowhere. They don't have a lot, a lot of history on Twitter. They have like no posts, no prior posts. And then suddenly they have tons of followers. You know what I mean? I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying that categorically so, but. (laughs) Well, there was. It happens frequently enough where it's like. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of like a sidetrack, but. On one of the groups that we're on, somebody posted a tweet 
by a guy and I forget his name. And he, it, the tweet was that during the England versus US game, the English fans were like chanting 9-11 and yeah. throwing airplane, paper airplanes at the American fans. <laughs> and I mean, I didn't respond, but I know who that person is. And mm-hmm. he is like a fake journalist who writes for a fake newspaper. And if you go through his tweets, he does this at like every different football game. Like he'll go to Glasgow v Celtic, which are two Scottish rivals. One's Catholic and one's Protestant, and it's like the closest thing to what you saw in Ireland, outside of Ireland, in terms of like the rivalry between Catholics and Protestants. And he'll tweet like the Protestant, the the Glasgow Ranger fans were saying like death to the Pope. To and he does this for like, and you can go through any game that would have any type of like political undertones to it and he sends tweets out like this so and it's just all like it's a satire account. it's all bullshit but yeah. people think it's real right well i mean to bring it to this like on the international like geopolitical level i mean not that that it, I, like you said that does have like political undertones to it although the stakes probably aren't quite as dire exactly but you know there's uh, maybe we'll get to this i don't know if we will or not but like there's i found like this article on the dprk mm-hmm. and there may not be a more maligned right country or a country that Americans are more misinformed on and we're misinformed on a fuck ton yeah but it's one of those articles that has like five myths perpetuated by the media about the DPRK mm-hmm. and i think it's like two or three like i said we might get to the article i don't know but two or three were basically sourced by satire articles. Right. Which pe- the author said, like, this is like a satire thing. Yeah. But it gets taken up and run with, like, supposedly legitimate news sources. And just because it's the DPRK, people believe it. People I mean, believe they it. They just want to believe. It, it's like, I think we've talked about this before, but there's this whole movement, and, you know, it's pretty accurate that, like, the media in this country is not truthful. 100%. And, but. Whenever someone who doesn't, whenever there's a story about a left-wing government, all of a sudden, it's accurate. Right. It's like Venezuela deserves the sanctions because they're bad. Yeah. They, Venezuelans eat rats. But like, why? Yeah. Like, you can't get much more than that. Yeah. Well, because human rights abuses. Okay. Yeah. What were they? What What's the source on that? Yeah. I mean, I was watching did, something. With did they the- lock up right-wing fucking coup plotters? Because that's probably who they locked up or maybe murdered. And that's- I mean, was it Bolivia where they had like uh, a left-wing government elected, then there was a right-wing coup, and then the left-wing won again. And they locked up the people. <laughs> and Blinken was like, we need to investigate this. Yeah. It's like, oh, f- yeah. what? Yeah. No, but I was watching the news with someone. It was like a 60-minute story about Nicaragua. And it was about how like the president was you know, arresting political opponents. And they were like, this is what happens with socialism. I was like, wait a minute. So if this story was about like Trump locking up left, like Trump locking up his opponents, would you believe it? And they were like, well, no, because the media lies. I was like, well, then why, why is do you this believe accurate? this? It's just- I mean, and that, that, that again goes back to the history. I mean, we've talked about Nicaragua and the Sandinistas and Iran-Contra briefly before. Yeah. But there's an article I've found as I was going through some research for this. And I'll, I'll post the link. I don't know if we'll talk too much about that specific article, but like, it describes the propaganda machine that Reagan administration built up to yeah. kind of ba- basically it was to prepare the Senate to vote for funding for this program. 
So it was to indoctrinate the populace, to indoctrinate, you know, senators against the Sandinistas. Yeah. For the purposes of, you know, preventing a left wing government from assuming power in Central America. Right. So that's why and to get back to it a little bit, it's like, what is the logical conclusion for, you know, US for calling for US intervention? Um based on the historical evidence with, because that's, again, like we're talking about, we're not making it very explicit, but like, what is the outcome or what is your, what is your vehicle for actually addressing these alleged human rights abuses or atrocities, whatever they, that may be. It's regime change, regime change, yeah. right? U S intervention. Yeah. And you know, what is the historical evidence that we're presented with? Absolute devastation. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. It's the imposition of a brutal regime, which will ensure the neoliberal prescriptions of the U.S. empire are implemented, right? So it's Libya going from the most proper, prosperous nation in Africa with guaranteed living standards for its citizens to open-air slave markets amid the rubble from NATO bombs, right? It's 20 years of civil wars in the Middle East. It's children in Vietnam to this day being born with birth defects due to residual Agent Orange. Children in Iraq facing the same due to use of depleted uranium in Fallujah, right? Like we could go on and on and on, but that's the result. So it's just to, again, state it. The U.S. is not a liberating force. And in fact, only the people of a given nation can liberate themselves. So anyway, but to get closer to our specific topic um, and considering the above, you know, you also have to ask yourself, like, why is the U.S. so interested in highlighting certain movements on the ground or so-called instances of repression while ignoring others? And we've mentioned it before, but where's the coverage of Yemen? Yeah. Where's the coverage of Palestine? You know, where was the historical coverage of the atrocities birthed out of the School of Americas in Latin America? Right. CIA funded school. Like, I don't see any mass hysteria about the treatment of migrants by the European Union or allies in the Gulf states or Australia or New Zealand for that matter, because they have their own, you know, systems of migrant detention and abuse as well. So like, so why is it that every time there's some tepid protest in China, the corporate media attempts to work us into a frothing rage? And it's like with China, it's like amazingly all 1.5 billion people aren't perfectly enthused about every decision their government makes. And on top of that, we have protests here, right? Black Lives Matter, whatever it may be. And that's the good one. I'm not even going to get into like the anti-vax protests that have. Right. But across the board, any anti-government protest here is fucking cracked down upon in the streets by police. Yeah. Demonized by the media, right? Yeah. But, you know, when we have the, the Maidan protests in 2014 in Ukraine, which is really important to what's going on right now, or some kind of pro-democracy, quote-unquote, t- protests in uh, Taiwan or Hong Kong... The people, the people in the media go, oh, look at what they're doing. They're fighting for freedom. But, you know, we can't do that here. Or, or it's the, you know, the, the COVID, all the coverage of the COVID stuff that's going on in China now. Like that coverage is all like, oh, these people are fighting for freedom. And That's what I mean. Yeah. yeah. Like the, these, that, that was like that tepid protest I was yeah. referring to. Right. It was like a couple hundred people. Yeah. Which, you know, again, like I said, people have the right to go out and do that kind of shit. Yeah. But like, it's not like this is some kind of signal for the fall of the CPC, right? Like, you have to be fucking kidding. You Everything to, is the signal of the fall. Yeah, of that. <laughs> but like, you have to be delusional at this point if you believe that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. Because again, we we've said it before, but you know, again, not everybody's happy. But you can go back to a Harvard study from 2015 or whatever it was. Harvard study that found 90 percent satisfaction with the government. Yeah. 
in China? I digress, but you know, again, it's just it's 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 hypocrisy, right? And just to kind of wrap it up before we get into uh, what atrocity propaganda is, finally, like I do want to say this, just that like I do believe in international working class solidarity, and I do also believe that there are certain human rights that ought to be universally applied, such as the rights of the LGBT community to exist and thrive everywhere. It's just that once again, as we can see before our very eyes, the U.S. doesn't even care about these things at home. Yeah, we also need to understand that Western values with respect to so-called human rights and just cultural practices cannot be applied equally everywhere, right? Like, so just because a Muslim woman is wearing a hijab doesn't mean she's being oppressed. Cultural practices are unique across so many different nations and ethnic groups, and Westerners in general, I think, need to be more careful about applying our cultural lens directly onto a place or people we know very little about in all likelihood, right? So, and but it, that is important because it's the kind of stuff that manufacturers consent for, you know, liberating the women of Afghanistan, which is fucking nonsense. Like what we need to do is focus on fighting the domestic and international abuses of the government we are ostensibly responsible for first and foremost. Yeah, and it's it's a form of neo-colonialism, isn't it? Like Oh, 100%. Oh, this we need to change, you know. We need exactly. to go civilize them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like, there's been a little bit of this shit with the with the World Cup as yeah, well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you can sit there and you can criticize like labor abuses of workers, and that's know? the that that's the where I came at it from. Definitely. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. And that's but that's like where we, especially from the West, should draw the line, honestly. And you know, like I said, the LGBTQ abuses and things like that. But but every fucking state oppresses LGBTQ people. Yeah. There's no, there's no doubt about it. So like, and again, I think we touched on this in like our World Cup episode, but like next time there's a, a fucking uh, World Cup or some national event here or in some like Western European country. one here in four years. Well, let's, well, let's, let's fucking protest that on the same <laughs> oh, grounds. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? So yeah, like, no, no question. But in any case, let's get to atrocity propaganda <laughs> <laughs> finally. So... And to your point earlier, it's kind of funny because like, I think probably as you saw, when you do like a quick Google to just get the definition of atrocity propaganda, right? Just to kind of square yourself, you do get a Wikipedia article, but then you get a host of stuff that analyzes just World War One propaganda. Yeah, I looked up modern atrocity propaganda and got World War One stuff and I was like, okay. Yeah, <laughs> but it just gives like the immediate impression that if you look into this, that like this is some kind of tactic out of the past and it doesn't really exist anymore but like that's not the case at all it's like probably it's it's more i can tell you what it's more effectively used now because of the internet than it ever could have been in world war one which is probably why it needs to be studied more heavily now like the first example that i saw was i mean it goes all the way back to the crusades and it was this a sermon at clermont i guess urban the second justified the crusades by saying islam had ravaged the churches of God in the eastern provinces, circumcised Christian men, violated women, and carried out the most unspeakable torture before killing them. I mean, it's really the same shit, isn't it? Yeah. And meanwhile... But again, like like you said, that was, that was a sermon to a few people. Yeah. Now you have the internet, where if someone said that shit, fucking every person in this country would like be retweeting it or some shit. Yeah, it's time to go bomb the Middle East again, you know, because yeah. of... Pope Urban or whatever. Like, honest <laughs> to God. But it is the same thing. Yeah. And like, but then when you look at it, like, I think you've talked about it before, but then you, when you look at the actual, the Arab world back then, 
they were it was actually far less fucking barbarous than Western Europe. Oh yeah, what was his name? Saladin. Saladin was so much more humane than the English or Eastern, the Western European Crusaders. But just in general, like yeah. more sophisticated, more yeah. advanced scientifically, mathematically, culturally. Yeah. <laughs> like so, who are the rapacious barbarians? Yeah. And you can still probably say the same in a lot of ways. Yeah. But that's a good point, though, that it goes back far beyond. It's not just the World War One phenomenon. It was before. It happened before, and it continues on now. Yeah. Um, the internet is a big, a big vehicle in spreading this kind of disinformation because that's what it is. But you know, I think the Wikipedia definition is probably useful enough for what we're talking about. And I did want to read the first few paragraphs from the wiki page because I think it's pretty good framing and there's stuff to talk about there. So it starts, um, atrocity propaganda is the spreading of information about the crimes committed by an enemy, which can be factual but often includes or features deliberate fabrications or exaggerations. This can involve photographs, videos, illustrations, interviews, and other forms of information, presentation, or reporting. The inherently violent nature of war means that exaggeration and invention of atrocities often becomes the main staple of propaganda. Patriotism is often not enough to make people hate the enemy, and propaganda is also necessary. And this is a quote. So great are the psychological resistances to war in modern nations, wrote Harold Laswell, that every war must appear to be a war of defense against a menacing, murderous aggressor. There must be no ambiguity about who the public is to hate. Human testimony may be unreliable even in ordinary circumstances, but in wartime it can be further muddled by bias, sentiment, and misguided patriotism. Dick quote continues, like propaganda, atrocity rumors detailing exaggerated or invented crimes perpetrated by enemies are also circulated to vilify the opposing side. The application of atrocity propaganda is not limited to times of conflict, but can be implemented to sway public opinion and create a casus belli to declare war. Yeah, this guy Tom Foundy, Foudy, Tom Foudy, I guess he's a British political and international relations analyst. He says, yeah, I mean, it's pretty similar. Style of propaganda whereby one state demonizes another as being brutal and inhumane by making a number of accusations against the latter, usually on the premises of human rights, abuses, or killing civilians. It's conducted in both war and peacetime and is used as a tool by government actors to set narratives against the opponent, build a respective debate, and in turn manufacture consent for policies against them, which may include sanctions or war itself. And then he talks a little bit before this about like how... He talks about the fog of war, which he defines as broadly describing the uncertainty and inability to decipher the truth of what is going on in the situation of conflict. And he says that obviously makes it, it is used to disseminate this, you know, to propagate this stuff even more. Right. No, absolutely. And I think, you know, to go back to this idea that you don't have to just be at war, but it can be applied beforehand is very important for us now as well you know because there is that speed of information in terms of like you can disseminate the uh you know the the lies or the fabrications or the hyperbolic kind of headlines quickly but you know you can also see that the winds change quickly as well you know what i mean now but the problem with this kind of stuff is that what usually happens is you get this information out there that calls Gaddafi a, a murderous dictator looking to slaughter his own people, right? Yeah. 
then it comes out, people see it, it's all over the headlines, and then there's quietly a retraction issued later, or a correction, or a report on the motives that comes out two years later on why we were wrong and why we got it wrong. I mean, you'll even even hear our politicians are forced at times to admit that we got it wrong. But it's, oh, it's because we made a mistake. You know what I mean? Like our intentions were good, et cetera, et cetera. But that Costas belly, like they say there, I mean, that's so important early on because you get people to a point where it's just, it's already implanted in in kind of the cultural zeit or in the zeitgeist. You know what I mean? It's out there in the ether where if you talk to your, the average person, they think that, you know, Gaddafi deserves to die. And there's no coverage of, you know, the implications of what happened. Like, I don't care what you fucking think about Gaddafi. Libya was better with him than without him. Yeah. You know, and we'll get into it a little bit later. But like... But that Johnston as well, Caitlin Johnston, she said in her in her article... Because, I mean, I think probably everybody's guilty of this, right? You, you, you read a story, you read the headline, you read a couple paragraphs. Not every... You don't read the whole thing a lot sure. of times, right? And she has the point that... And especially this was in reference to the, you know, Russians raping children. There'll be this whole story on it. And then at the end, there'll be one sentence that says something like, none of this is not backed up by independent research or any sources or anything like that. There's just one little sentence at the end that most people probably just gloss over because they're either disgusted by what they've read and there's no critical thinking as to what's behind it or they don't get to that. Yeah. No, but people think it. And it's blasted all over. Yeah. I mean, again, I don't even think that we... People can't think that we sound tinfoil hat. I mean, maybe we're just too much in our, our sound our sound bubble here. But like, I don't know. It's just, it's so clear to me what happens because you can find instances over and over and over again, right? So like, I mean, let's get into some. I mean, I think Syria is a big one. I think, you know, to this point that we're talking about, I think if you asked a lot of just, you know, random working people, wherever they may be, what their opinion of Assad is. I mean, if they if they know, because again, capitalism grinds people down. I don't think people are nearly that invested into international affairs as we are, obviously. Yeah. But I think if you did get a response to that effect, it would be something to the end of like, well, didn't he gas his own gas people? people? Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. But like the reality is like, you have to look a little bit into this situation. So I have a little write-up on this, right? So, you know, Syria has been bombed by the u.s multiple times right so it wasn't just trump this all started under obama but i think i want to talk about the instance under trump because on april 13th 2018 president trump the great anti-imperialist that he is (laughs) launched yet another bombing campaign in syria and the pretext was that the syrian government forces had launched a chemical weapons attack on doma and i apologize for any like mispronunciations because i'm just dumb illiterate white american you know i mean that doesn't know as how to Mike pronounce says, other just dumb commies what's that as mike always says we're just dumb commies yeah right so but this, it's a suburb of damascus which is the capital of syria yeah. right um, but at that time it was held by the jaish al-islam a saudi-backed rebel group right like so this is the context of the syrian civil war which is a very complex history which we don't have time to get into right <laughs> but you know needless to say there's like of course, civilians dying in the exchanges between the opposing sides. It's a civil war. But this alleged chemical weapons attack was ultimately utilized as the justification for the U.S. to swoop in and just increase the suffering by, I think they launched like 59 bombs or whatever, just in this one attack that was a result of this 
this chemical weapon attack. So, but like the problem was, and this was even admitted, I think, by Mattis down the line, was mm-hmm. that there was no clear evidence to indicate that the Assad government was actually behind the chemical attack. And in fact, investigations and analyses later, at the very least, found the evidence to be unclear. Um, but like at worst, they could even lead you to conclude that a false flag operation may have been afoot, you know, and I, 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 I'm not going to come down on that either way, but there was an analysis by this guy, Theodore Postel. He was a, he's got a PhD in nuclear engineering and he's an MIT professor emeritus of, you know, science engineering there, but he published this analysis, which contradicted the findings of the organization for the prohibition of chemical weapons, which is, you know, a UN body. Um, and this was the report that the U.S. used as justification for this, right? Um, so Postel published this analysis, um, and he looked at the claims regarding the location, um, the impact of, you know, the I guess the deployment mechanism of this gas, um, and the missile systems essentially that carried it, right? Using his using science, right? He's got a expertise in physics and he knows about weapon systems and he basically concluded that like the science and the story didn't match up like if you you if this type of rocket actually carried it they would have had to been so close to this and it wasn't the uh, Syrian government forces didn't control an area that was close enough to actually deploy this type of weapon mm-hmm. so you know just the things didn't add add up so he was of course demonized didn't you know had his articles unpublished and he went so far because you know, he actually had some principles. He stepped down from the editorial board of um, this publication called Science and Global Security, which is based out of Princeton. It's a prestigious publication that he had worked on for over 30 years, but like they refused to publish what he deemed to be, you know, sound analysis. So he stepped down. Um, you know, of course, this was because the problem is that he went against the interests in the narrative of the military industrial complex, right? And I'll post the articles for, you know, for everybody to read. I'm just summarizing here. But on top of this, it wasn't just this guy. So that body, the OPCW, uh, their first director uh, general, this guy named Jose Bustani, he was actually blocked from speaking on the subject in front of the UN in October of 2020 by the US and their allies on the Security Council. Um, Bustani was intending to speak on some of the findings of two other OPCW inspectors, which, you know, they came in later and they've kind of found these things about the report, which essentially contradicted the initial findings, right? So they wanted to kind of correct the narrative or at least raise some questions about the conclusions and their veracity that kind of led to this bombing attack. But of course, the U.S. stepped in and said, no, this is like within our security interest and the entire UN doesn't get to hear, hear this at all. So the result is we don't know what the inspectors found, but like this should just make us even more suspicious of the U.S. because they, them blocking it clearly indicates that they deemed that they potentially had dangerous information to the narrative, right? So there's a lot of things not adding up, but you know, you're left with this situation where the vast majority of the U.S. populace believes Assad is a monster that gasses his own people, right? And like we said earlier, the reality is that the situation in Syria is that the, you know, there's a history there with the Assad family, um, the Ba'ath Party, and it's all for, far more complex and nuanced um, for us to even hope to scratch the surface, like just having this quick discussion. But like what we do know about Assad and the Syrians is that they resist U.S. hegemony, domination by the Saudis, and they resist Israel, the, the Zionist state, you know. Mm-hmm. And Assad is, sorry to say, like legitimately popular in Syria. You know, like obviously there's rebel groups and shit like that. But that doesn't mean he's got support. He doesn't have support from you know, 
a majority of the population. And I mean, and imagine what like this does, like when they're being attacked by foreign powers. I mean, it's going to have the unintended effect in, from the U.S. perspective of people rallying around Assad because he's fighting against U.S. imperialism. This is what happens to these dumb fucks all the time. They yeah. do this shit. You know, it's just like the law of unintended consequences. But, you know, there's there's reasons for this, obviously. Mm-hmm. It, there's a big geopolitical game, obviously, between Russia and the U.S. Russia was backing Assad, you know. It's really about control f- from the U.S.'s perspective of the Middle East. Yeah. And taking away these folks' sovereignty, their oil. Because to this day, the U.S. occupies parts of northern Syria. And we're literally siphoning oil from underneath this sovereign nation's feet. Yeah. And stealing it from them. Mm -hmm. Stealing it from them. So, like, why in the world would the U.S. state want us to hate Assad? I can't imagine. Yeah. Have you seen There Will Be Blood? I've not. There's a part where... They're talking about their property of oil and the main, like the guy that, um, the main guy is, he, he's like, he's talking about where his oil is, where his, his drilling is. This is like in the 1800s. And he says that, you know, he's drilled underneath the other guy's property and he's just like, I drink your milkshake. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's what it is, man. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, that aside, like. You know, and as we're doing this, we of course continue to blanket Syria with sanctions, economic sanctions. So that's always fun. Got anything else on Syria, or you want to talk about Libya real quick? Because I, I do want to talk about that one more specifically. I mean, I don't like to give these people a, a platform, but the interesting thing is, and again, like you know, I listen to a lot of episodes on this about of this podcast that analyzes Jones, Alex Jones. Mm-hmm. And you know what he said when Trump bombed Syria? He said it was a mistake. He said. He, he said, fuck Trump and fuck these fucking people. <laughs> he was doing good, and that's what makes this so bad. So, I mean, and again, this is where, like, I'm always amazed how close some of these fucking yeah. maniacs get. But they don't really care because he'll say that one day, and then he'll talk about how, like, the U.S. should take over Greenland the next day. It's right. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. But it's just, it's strange, right? There's some of these crazy fucking right-wing people that... I, I mean, it's just what... No critique of capital does to a motherfucker, man. Yeah. That's what it is. Because without a critique of capital, you don't fully understand imperialism. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. Yeah. Well, there's a lot more going on with Jones than that, but well, that's a yeah. big, that's a big that's, part. So, like, I don't like, I don't like the platform the guy because he is just a piece of shit. But it's just interesting. Sometimes he like, again, we talk about this a lot. They they almost get there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but well, I mean, and like. There's some politicians that do this shit cynically as well. Yeah. You know? I mean, yeah, and I think and that's Trump another is, thing you have to And Trump bear is mind. one of them, you know what I mean? Yes, yeah. But, like, it allows, like, when the Democrats do this shit, and, again, it's, it's almost not worth talking about because they're the same fucking party and we should all know it at this point. Yeah. But, like, it's like with this labor dispute or, you know, again, interventions. And you can see it right now. Like, in some ways, like, again, she's doing it for the wrong reasons, but Marjorie Taylor Greene is, like, outflanking all of the Democrats on the left. Yeah. Regarding, you know, funding Nazis. Yeah. And Marco Rubio is outflanking them and Ted Cruz are outflanking them on labor issues. Yeah. Because of the rail stuff. But again, and it's cynical. It's bullshit. Yeah. But but it's just a posture they can take right now. Sure. To make themselves look like. But if you're somebody that doesn't tune in that much. Yeah. Oh, exactly. You know what I mean? Oh, I mean, if you're a working class person who the Democrats have done nothing for, why? And this person's at least talking to you. I mean. Yeah. Fucking you just want to believe what he says, even though you know if you don't have any 
critical analysis. You don't know it's cynical, but still. Right. At least he's talking to you. Yeah. But in any case, I think we should go to Libya. This is something I actually want to do a full episode on at some point. But like some of the stories are just so ridiculous that I think it's a really just good example of atrocity propaganda and like what its implications can be and why it's so effective as part of, you know, a program of interventionism. So, I mean, the the whole intervention into Libya was undeniably fueled upon lies and false pretenses. But like one shining example of atrocity propaganda in this scenario was the story which was published throughout Western media that Gaddafi was giving his forces Viagra to rape women civilians as part of like some terror campaign against his own populace. So, you know, of course, it's the same thing. No basis for this at all. Well, I think the basis was that some of the Western-backed rebels... We're stating that mm-hmm. the rebel groups in Libya well, again. It's, we're feeding that information. Yeah. So like that source is not reliable. These people getting like Western weapons and money, and who knows if they even said it. But like yeah. they, they, the any any agency could just as easily say, look, oh, like the, the people on the ground told us this information. You don't have to source that at all, right? You know, but you yep. just publish it. So you know, when NATO goes in and drops the bombs, it's it's to take out a monster. Mm-hmm. And again, I think if you asked anybody about Libya or Gaddafi, they think, oh, he's that weird, that weird monster out of Libya, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. The good thing he's dead, but they have no fucking clue what it's like now. Well, they probably say like he's the one that I think what most people in this country would remember would be like he's the one that Hillary laughed at as he was getting brutalized. Yeah. Uh, that and that he was that eccentric dude that like yeah. you know showed up in his in his garb and like stayed in like a tent I think or whatever it was. Yeah. Again, no doubt, dude was eccentric. Who yeah. fucking cares? Right. You know what I mean? Like, like Trump's not eccentric. It's, yeah, it's, he lives in a golden palace. It's, like, it, for, it's immaterial. You know what I mean? And again, no, I don't know. I don't know enough about like the specific criticism against him, like. Yeah, like, I can't. You know, I've heard some things, but again, yeah. I don't know. You don't know what to believe, right? You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. But everything I know about him in terms of his governing style, what he did for people, would like I mean, sure, maybe he had some eccentricities. I mean, he, nobody's perfect. Yeah. He probably did some bad shit that deserved to be condemned. I'm sure. Yeah, but like, fuck. And again, like we say, we where it's it's not as if we think some place is a utopia. We're critical of you. Have to be critical of everything, right? But you know what? Don't jump on the bandwagon when they're criticizing Libya for a reason. And like, you really don't even have to take like our word for it yeah, that the um, that this whole thing was based on lies. Because in 2016, the UK Parliament actually put out a report that detailed how NATO's 2011 war in Libya was based on lies. And I'll just read a little bit from this. Um, and this is a Salon article. Uh, which I'll publish. So it says, a new report by the British Parliament shows that the 2011 NATO war in Libya was based on an array of lies. Quote, Libya, examination of intervention and collapse and the UK's future policy options, an investigation by the House of Commons Bipartisan Foreign Affairs Committee, strongly condemns the UK's role in the war, which toppled the government of Libya's leader, Muammar Gaddafi, and plunged the North African country into chaos. Quote, We have seen no evidence that the UK government carried out a proper analysis of the nature of the rebellion in Libya, the report states. UK strategy was founded on erroneous assumptions and an incomplete understanding of the evidence. The Foreign Affairs Committee concludes that the British government, quote, failed to identify that the threat to civilians was overstated and that the rebels included a significant Islamist element. 
The Libya Inquiry, which was launched in July 2015, is based on more than a year of research and interviews with politicians, academics, journalists, and more. The report, which was released on September 14th, reveals the following. I'll just read this bullets and then we'll stop reading the article, but... Gaddafi was not planning to massacre civilians. This myth was exaggerated by rebels and Western governments, which based their intervention on little intelligence. The threat of Islamist extremists, which had a large influence in the uprising, was ignored, and the NATO bombing made this threat even worse, giving ISIS a base in North Africa. France, which initiated the military intervention, was motivated by economic and political interests, not humanitarian ones. The uprising, which was violent, not peaceful, would likely not have been successful were it not for foreign military intervention and aid. Foreign media outlets, particularly Qatar's Al Jazeera, Saudi Arabia's Al Arabiya, also spread unsubstantiated rumors about Gaddafi and the Libyan government. And finally, the NATO bombing plunged Libya into a human- humanitarian disaster, killing thousands of people and displacing hundreds of thousands more transforming Libya from the African country with the highest standard of living into a war-torn failed state. And this is the UK report. I mean, mm-hmm. this is, you know, editorializing by Ben Norton and SLR article there, but like yeah. he links the, he links the report. Go look at it for yourself as well. Like we shouldn't have done this. Right. But like the real problem with Gaddafi was that he was an anti-imperialist. He was a fierce proponent of pan-Africanism and African political unity on the world stage. He and the Libyan government actually sponsored membership into the African Union to states that couldn't actually participate in it. Yeah, I knew that about him. You know, um, but just to make sure that they were present and had a seat at the table. Like, sure, he was quirky, like we said, and gasped, like, imperfect. But, like, he oversaw the transformation of Libya from a country dominated and exploited by European colonialism into the most prosperous nation in Africa with social programs that we can really only dream of in the United States. The real problem started when Gaddafi began formulating a viable plan to move Africa away from the euro and the dollar dependence, right? So his plan was basically to get Africa all using this uh, the gold dinar, which was mm-hmm. backed with Libyan gold because they had oil money, right. which people got free gasoline, they had free health care. They had huge, I mean, if you, you can look at pictures of what Libya looked like before the bombing campaigns, it's unbelievable, man. Like, they built a man-made river for, like, irrigation. Yeah. And, but then, you know, so, but that's what happened was, like, I think, especially France, because I France still, uh, there's a lot of, like, Northwestern African countries that are still forced to use the uh, the franc. Yeah. And fucking France doesn't even use that anymore. <laughs> but they still control, they control all this wealth. Yeah, I mean, look at Haiti and the the relationship with France. And this is like neo-colonialism, right? Yeah. So the threat with Gaddafi was that he's trying to unify this massive continent with billions of people to really fight fucking financial domination. Yeah. And that's why he got killed. Yeah. But anyway, so because of that, cue the bombs and that fucking incarnation of evil Hillary, like you said, cackling on live TV after the man was sodomized with the bayonet on the streets by Western-backed extremists. Yeah. So... They're safe and prosperous now, right? (laughs) With open-air slave markets. Yeah. Fucking disgusting. Yeah. And, like, this is what pisses me off about someone like fucking Robert Evans. Yeah. Because, you know, he... And I listened to him for a long time. Yeah, we both did. I do appreciate some of the stuff that he does. But, like... Some of his foreign stuff is... A lot of his foreign stuff is awful. It's like, what is the point of doing, like, after all this, of, like, doing a, a behind the bastards on... Gaddafi. Yeah. 
it just validates this bullshit. Yeah. But like he did, didn't he do a relatively good one on the School of the Americas? He did. It's like it's it's really he's weird. Yeah, it's really weird. I think part of it is he wants some comedic aspect to his. I and and I think as you said, Gaddafi's viewed as this like quirky weird guy and Evans maybe thought he could make fun of him and have some comedian on to join him. Yeah, but there was I'd have to go back and listen to that episode yeah, cuz I did I mean, it. It's been a long time since I listened to that. But I mean, I just want to say that it was a lot of like the same like you know, it was the same shit the, as, the, as what you the just same, said. Yeah, yeah. it's like the same tropes about him that ultimately just serve no other purpose. Yeah. And like you have to be like I don't care, man. Like if you've got like a big platform, you have to be careful with what you do. Yeah. Like you have to. Like oh, if definitely. you're going to go out there and like be, you know, proclaim to know about shit and be a leftist, yeah. you have to be fucking does he, careful. Is, does he say he's a leftist? He says he's an anarchist. Yeah. But uh, there's a lot of shit about like that outfit that he's at, that yeah. Belling cat. It's yeah. fucking CIA and that Elliot, Elliot Higgins or whatever. He's fucking CIA. Yeah. <sighs> it's disappointing. <laughs> yeah. But like, you know, you have like an extra level of responsibility, like when I think when you live within the U.S. in terms of criticizing the U.S. because we're the global fucking imperial hegemon right now. (sighs) Drives me crazy. There's also China. (laughs) We could get into a little bit. I mean, the big thing is the Uyghurs there. Yeah, that's a big thing. So, you know, there are re-education camps in Xinjiang. Yeah. There are. Mm -hmm. Right? And the Chinese government admits to that. But what they say they're about and what, if you actually look into it, makes sense that they're about is like this de-radicalization of like this East Turkestan Islamic group, which if you really dive into it, has ties to a lot of like U.S. funded extremist groups in, in that region. That's just how it is. Yeah. So, you know, there's these allegations and it's all, you know, the progenitor is this guy, Adrian Zenz. Do you know anything about him? No. So he's the progenitor of like this myth of, the Uyghur genocide in Xinjiang. The thing about Zenz is, and it's this is fucking insane, man, but he's a German, speaks no Chinese, and he is the Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation's director on China studies. Cool. So this is their this is their authority. He also is a right-wing extremist who wrote a book titled Worthy to Escape: Why All Believers Will Not Be Raptured Before the Tribulation. Jesus Christ. And I mean, if you look into it, he is the source of all these accusations of yeah. Uyghur genocide. It's interesting with this the Uyghur stuff, right? Because I, I work with a couple guys in China, who are Chinese. These dudes hate G. Mm-hmm. They hate communism. Like they're the they're like hardcore capitalists. I mean, it's uh, you, you they were before. It's always yeah. so encouraging when you say these people hate Xi because he must be doing something fucking right. Yeah, they they love you know they work for an American corporation. They massive capitalists. They hate Xi. But when we talked about this, they were like, yeah, don't believe what you read here. Really? Even they said that. They were like, "That it's, it's, it's not bullshit. True. And I was like, no, I mean, encouraging. And then like when you look at like what China has done with this stuff, like, you know, they consistently invite the UN to visit Xinjiang, develop their own reports. Yep. Right. They have invited basically all major countries in the Arab or Muslim you know, world, not to conflate the two necessarily, but in the major Muslim world, because there's a lot of countries in Central Asia also that aren't Arab, that are predominantly Muslim, like even neighboring countries, like Uzbekistan, Indonesia's got the highest percentage of Muslim population. And anyway, I'm just, I'm overcompensating here. So, um, 
you know, all these major countries come out and like they look and they say, hey, there's there's no evidence of like targeted religious persecution or genocide here or anything like that. Right. But people in the U.S., we fucking think that there's a genocide. But like then you can just look at like the cold, hard facts that the Uyghur population has actually increased over the past 10 years. And the Uyghurs, because of some of their religious considerations, actually got some exemptions from things like the one child policy. Mm-hmm. And it was to promote growth in the region. China still allows tourists to come in. That's what the other thing they say, like this area is essentially on lockdown. All the Uyghurs are in detention camps. <laughs> I mean, there are, like I said, there are these re-education camps, but it's not the whole fucking Uyghur population. Yeah. I mean, there's people doing their thing, just living. We don't have camps for people here, do we? No, we don't. <laughs> that's that's the point I want to make too, is like, okay, what did we do with like people we deemed um, to be radical extremists? Yeah. A future presidential nominee oversaw their torture in Guantanamo Bay. Yeah. Yep. So I don't want to fucking hear it. And again, I'm sure there's coercive elements to this, right? Yeah. I'm sure there's like some fucking shitty Chinese policeman who like beat somebody. And that fucking sucks. But we're not, we, we have to learn that we, we can't go to war over lies. I mean, it's, you have to just look into this stuff. And again, there's no, there's not to say that there's not, it's not problematic or whatever it may be, but who the fuck are you to judge or do anything about it if you're living in the U.S.? Yeah. Take care of the migrant camps. Work on that. Go agitate against that. You know, don't, adv- I mean, all you're doing when you buy into this shit is basically saying like, yeah, I'm cool with fighting China, another nuclear power, you know what I mean, for human rights. That right. don't That human rights abuses that don't exist or don't exist nearly to the scale that, you know, they're, trying to get you to believe yeah so i don't know uh well you got anything anything else you wanted to talk about i mean when you talk about this atrocity propaganda we've basically used and again we we talk about interventions and we talk about imperialism but just look domestically as well black on black crime we heard that last night oh my god black on black crime that's fucking propaganda yeah to make it's lies yeah and what i mean grooming by you know drag people 100 all that shit and it leads to violence that's all propaganda that leads to violence exactly and that's domestic that's not foreign that's demonizing a people to make it okay when we kill them or not us but you know what i mean when the state or somebody goes into a gay club and shoots people. Yeah. It's okay then because oh they had a drag story hour there and and they were they were just grooming kids, which is total there's it's just complete bullshit. Like it drives you crazy when you listen to these people saying this stuff. And then they like they just don't care. Like no. like I told you I I went down this rabbit hole this week of like listening to that piece of shit Tim Pool and he's like this is what happens when you groom kids. He said that at one point. I was like, you have to be fucking kidding me. How how could you say something like that? How could a human being who claims he's, you know, he claims he's like in the center. And if you listen to anything of his, he, he's, he's pretty extreme. Um, but I, if you just listen to these people, you just, this stuff kind of washes over you. And you just think like, oh, that, that's, it can be normal. They just try to normalize all this shit. And it's. And to use their favorite term. Then they try to fucking gaslight you yes. into 
basically thinking that, oh, they never did this. And then how dare you make these tragedies political? Because we never said anything that would try to cause violence. Yeah. Go fuck yourself. Yeah. Oh, makes me so goddamn mad. Um, but no, that's a great point, man. I mean, about like the domestic atrocity propaganda, especially on the rights. I didn't even think about it, but it is important, you know? And it just, I think it goes to our point earlier of like, focus, like there's so much bad shit at home right now. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, but like China is doing much better than us. They <laughs> they have their problems. Absolutely. Let the Chinese people overcome that. Right. You know, let them deal with it. Let them work with Xi and, you know, the, the radical working class because the class struggle continues everywhere, right? It's going to continue in China, absolutely. But, like, that's not my main point. My point is focus on the shit at home. And the best thing that you can do to help foreign, uh, you know, foreign people that are being oppressed is to fight against the biggest purveyor of violence, genocide, and human rights abuses. And guess what? You're living in the country. Yeah. You're living in it. Most of our listeners. You're living in it. Well, most of, you're right. You're right. We do have some, I think we we could get some people from Sweden, um, South America, I think Brazil sometimes. So, you know, I assume you're listening just to find hope that there are people that hate (laughs) what this country does to the rest of the world if you are listening. But I mean, that's the thing. If you're in the US, like that's, that's, that's the most important fight you could fight right now. Um, and, you know, we could go on, man, I think. But, like, it's just, I th- want to make the point, like, be careful what you see about Russia. Yeah. You know? I mean, they tried to pull the same story about Russian, you know, Putin giving his troops Viagra to rape Ukrainian women. Retraction, of course. Yeah. You know what I mean? Eh. So, like, what can you believe? And it's like you said earlier about the fog of war. Yeah. You know, you really can't sift through the information. The reality is that, we none of us really know what's going on on the ground on the day-to-day basis you know you see everything about like oh ukraine is winning you know but simultaneously like putin's knocking fucking everything off the grid which i think there is some truth to that <laughs> that they're like targeting like but yeah, you know and again like just this week again with all the other shit that's gone on what was th- this natural gas cap they want to put on or the gas cap they want to put on russia to limit the money they can you know again it's just sanctions that are going to hurt people when when gas becomes unaffordable or you can't heat your house or well it's interesting because i think europe is finally starting to wake up at least like the european officials are finally i mean i'm sure the people have been already yeah but finally starting to wake up to the fact that oh it seems like that the uh the u.s is making a lot of money off of this Mm -hmm. did you see that article no i'll send it to you and i'll post it in the in the links here but yeah it was basically like eu officials grow leery of U.S. profiting so much, and they wonder what the intent is. It's like yeah. fucking really. <laughs> Where have you been? Yeah. Where have you been? But yeah, so like, be skeptical of everything you see um, from the U.S. about China, Russia. I mean, as we saw about Iran recently. I mean, I think we talked about it on the live episode, but you know, suddenly Iran's about to execute fifteen thousand people. Yeah. Oh, and then there's the correction, but so many people aren't going to see that correction. That's right. And then, like, when we issue another round of sanctions on Iran, Iran, I need to say that correctly, um, then it's okay because they're evil. Yeah. But it it hurts those same people that you were so worried about. Right. You know? Mm Mm-hmm. And again, we're all guilty of this, but with Twitter, it makes it so much easier. And and I don't go on Twitter, but... um, but I'm still guilty of doing this. You just look at headlines. Don't just look at headlines. Yeah. Read a little into it and be critical of what you're reading, like you said. Yeah. 
So I, I don't know. I think we could do one. I've had an idea for an episode on this that we could just do like a uh, atrocity propaganda roulette, like where we can just sit here and like <laughs> Country. Google Cuba. Yeah. Because like there's a bunch we didn't talk about that I want to talk about, like Venezuela with the economic sanctions yeah. and the justification there. Cuba, Nicaragua. I mean, Iraq. We didn't even fucking talk about Iraq with the WMDs. Yeah. Like false news there. And then the babies getting thrown out of incubators in Kuwait for the first Gulf War and yeah. that false testimony before Congress, which was fucking falsified. I mean, like we didn't even talk about we didn't even talk about a fucking a fraction of all this stuff. I mean, the DPRK, how did we not talk about the DPRK? Yeah. We did a little bit, but Vietnam, I mean, there's there's um, atrocity propaganda around, you know, like Gulf of Tonkin lies about that. Africa. Um, oh, yeah. Everything in Africa. Um, Vietnam. Yeah. I, I said Vietnam. Right? Korea is what I meant to say, but like with respect to the Korean War. Yep. You know, but it just goes on and on. But I think maybe if we want a fun one, we can just do like a, I mean, even a Google. The, you look at the cartoons you showed when you did the Philippines episode. Like, yeah, there's that as well. 100%. It goes back. But um, and maybe we'll do that for just a more lighthearted, but still dark one. But I think <laughs> this was good just to like, those are, I think those are some really big ones that we talked about yeah. um, in recent memory. But I hope like listeners, maybe you'll send this one to some liberal friends who are like getting a little bit closer, but still skeptical. Just because, like, I think the foreign policy aspect within the United States, as I said, is really just so important to have better education around and a better perspective on. Because, like, we're looking to escalate around the world as the empire crumbles, clearly. Um, and that crumbling is unfortunately happening happening far too slowly. But, you know, I, I don't know. It's just like I said, the most important fight is, like, here. And just to finish up with a quote from Lenin, it's... uh. The socialist of another country cannot expose the government and bourgeoisie of a country at war with his own nation, and not only because he does not know that country's language, history, specific features, etc., but also because such an exposure is part of imperialist intrigue and not an internationalist duty. And like the key word in there is war, but unfortunately for us, it looks like the U.S. wants war with just about anyone who refuses the yoke right now. Yeah. So. Yep, that was a nice way to finish. All right. Well, uh, thanks as always for listening at Intervention Pod um, on Instagram. Oh, and if you can, go on Spotify and give us a five-star review because I think some chuds <laughs> happened upon our Thanksgiving episode because it had Rush Daddy, Daddy Rush Limbaugh in the title of it. Yeah. And they've left us one-star reviews. <laughs> I know we don't have a lot of reviews, but like... <laughs> <laughs> really bring us down a little bit, you know, <laughs> fuckers. Yeah. I, I don't. I was still you, Steve. Like I don't even do that shit to like Ben Shapiro. I'm not even that fucking petty. No, what a bunch of cunts. I don't. Yeah, but like it's People for sure. That's for sure what it had to be because we were at like again we had like a few reviews, you know, like 13 reviews or 15 reviews or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. But after that episode, two one star reviews come yeah. in. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. Yeah. Fucking. <laughs> Salty cunts. <laughs> All right. Good night. Thank you.